Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... Well, it is finally here, the much-anticipated world premiere of the latest instalment in the James Bond series. When the first James Bond film was released, Keith Holyoke was the New Zealand Prime Minister. Nearly 60 years later, the 25th film in the series is being released today, No Time to Die, which, incidentally, is also the seventh film in the James Bond canon to refer to living or dying in its title. The Bond film series has given rise to immortal quips. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr Bond, I expect you to die. Unforgettable henchmen. Oh, you must excuse our job, Mr Bond. He's an admirable manservant, but mute. Not a very good caddy. A nasty and somewhat diluted cocktail. Martini for our guest, a little. A pleasure. Shaken. Not stirred. Of course. And one of the great heroes, or anti-heroes, depending on your perspective, of all cinema. My name is Bond. James Bond. Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Today on the podcast, we're talking all things Bond. How has this franchise retained its cultural currency for so many decades? In what ways has it changed and in what ways has it preserved its traditions? And with this 007 reaching the end of his tenure in the role, is it time for a dramatic switch-up? To chat about all this, we turn to our friend at TV3, film critic... Kate Roger, welcome to The Detail. Welcome back, actually. Um, how's it going? I love coming on The Detail. It's very good, thanks, Emil. Thanks very much for having me. Tell me about your earliest Bond memory. <laughs> Talking to a really old lady, so that's a really big question. Um, my oldest memory uh, will be a Sean Connery one, and it's quite a weird personal one because my father, Ian, uh, bears more than a passing resemblance to Sean Connery. It's weird to the point where he sometimes gets stopped in the street and people think that he's Sean Connery, and he does a terrible impression of Sean Connery. This, of course, is not exclusive to Kate's father. There's just no way, once he opens his mouth, that there's anything Bond or Scottish about him. But uh, it meant that we did watch quite a few of the Conneries because my mother, who fell in love with my father, obviously um, thought Sean Sean Connery was a pretty hot guy as well. Uh, So we watched quite a lot of the early Bonds. And I think probably, weirdly, uh, that's the earliest memory and it's not necessarily a specific Bond film of his. It's just the whole, uh, his whole lexicon really and he owned it didn't he he was an extraordinary bond well yeah i mean that's that's the thing because i i'm kind of the same in that i can't really pin it back to a single film or a single kind of moment james bond has just always sort of been a part of my life which is kind of the holy grail from a cultural point of view right being so ubiquitous that people just know who you are without necessarily being able to pin it to one specific moment Definitely. Couldn't agree with you more. And when we think about uh, film, this is the longest running film franchise in history. Uh, so whether it's Connery, whether it's Piers Brosnan, or Timothy Dalton or Daniel Craig, uh, they're synonymous with it also. But the character of Bond, uh, all of the iconic parts of what a James Bond film is, from the cars to the gadgets to the, the double entendres and the one-liners. My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. 
you know, every couple of years, we've had a bond film. Uh, there's been a big stretch when there were legal disputes, and I think there was a six-year gap, and COVID's had quite a big impact on um, No Time to Die. But we can always expect that there's going to be a bond coming around, and it creates a very, very special feeling among the fan base. He was the first of his kind, and I think it's really important to acknowledge the uh, the impact and the tentacles that come out uh, from the base course DNA of who James Bond was uh, on in cinema. And you talk about Jason Bourne, a version, really, of mm. Bond uh, in, in one way. You've got the spin-offs, uh, the opposite of them, like the Johnny English and the, <laughs> and the Austin Powers. Who behave? Uh, uh, and you think of all of the different parts of pop culture that have kind of leveraged or, or, or taken part of Bond and either spun it on its head or done a version of it. So you say 70 years, um, this is Bond 25, it's been at least, you know, a, a good solid 50 uh, to 70 years of seeing him on the big screen. We have to acknowledge that lang- that longevity is really, really part of his popularity because for a very long time, he was it. Mm. There was nothing to compete with him. And in fairness... I don't know how you feel about this. There is nothing around that really does compete with them. There are versions. I love Jason Bourne. I love that trilogy. Um, I love watching uh, how he runs and fights. And he's a very specific version of a spy. But James Bond is just... He's terribly, fabulously British. And I suspect there's a good chunk of colonial New Zealand that, you know, and around the world that just finds that part of him uh, incredibly iconic as well. You have covered the release of of, of many Bond films. I mean, what was the first that you remember? How lucky am I? The first uh, big Bond film was when I was pretty early on in this gig, and it was, of course, Casino Royale. Five and seven of spades. A straight flush. Four to the eight. Monsieur Bond wins. And the great thing for me was it was directed by Martin Campbell, who's a New Zealander. Would you say that Casino Royale is is the most important feature film of your career? I think in the sense that if I've failed, then it's a big risk. Uh, who'd also directed GoldenEye um, in 1995, which was Pierce Brosnan's first Bond. So my he. One. Um, yeah, it's a great film, and he knows how to re- to introduce a new Bond. I mean, that was Pierce's first, and then he was brought on to introduce a brand-new Bond again and Daniel Craig, and, you know, goodness gracious, I pulled together an archival story using my interviews of the last 10 years uh, and, and all the archive of when Daniel Craig was announced as as the new Bond, and you probably remember it as well, the tabloids mm. absolutely feasted on him. And it was also very intense, and I couldn't really see what all the fuss was about. That's how personally they take it. Bond is like the royal family in a weird way, and they and Britain seems to have a sense of ownership over him, so any decisions made around him, <laughs> they take very personally. Um, and it was intense. And, in fact, if um, any of the, your fabulous and pod audience uh, wants to jump onto Apple TV, uh, you can watch for free uh, a 45-minute sort of mini doco called Being James Bond that they've released ahead of No Time to Die. It's fascinating, fascinating to watch. And he, it's a voiceover from him and Barbara Broccoli, and they talk through that whole process. And he speaks really emotionally about it, Daniel Craig does, uh, because you often don't think that he gives a shit, but he is in, he's a really interesting dude. Have you seen the new film? yet no time to die just don't get me started i cannot tell you how heartbreaking this is so the junket was originally set up well before covid uh, and we were well as 
I think we were coming out of the other lockdown. What was the timing, Emil? I can't remember, but at that point, there was a very good chance I'd be going over to cover Bond. Oh, yeah. uh, and then it got axed. I think that was when we really knew that um, that COVID was taking hold. And uh, at that point, we were going to be shown the film and we weren't. And then there was a second opportunity and a third. And it's just not one of those ones often you can get screeners of films, but you're never going to get Bond as a <laughs> screening link uh, to watch on your laptop at home. So this film is opening and, and across New Zealand and cinemas that are open apart from Auckland and I can't see it. I don't even know how to describe how anxious and annoyed I am because I've got, I'm one of, yeah, God, you know, so privileged I get to see um, see stuff ahead of everybody else, but at least go to see it on the day it's released. I'm not even going to be able to do that unless I, I break my border and my bubble, which I'm, I'm not going to do for my job, but no, so that's the long answer and it's very, very difficult. Well, because I, I was wondering about that. I was wondering about what it's like as a film critic when a new Bond is coming out, like is there this sort of feeling of excitement? Is it like Christmas is coming around? And and also when you're critiquing a film like a Bond film, do you do you brush up on Bond films of years past beforehand? Is it always going to be measured against that kind of um, the, the, the the body of work that's been in the past? Or what is the is, is there a process to it? Or or is it more, you know, this is a film and you watch it and you judge it on its merits? I think it's a combination of all of those things. And the difference between these Daniel Craig bonds and all of the ones prior is they are all linked. They're not stand, I mean, they're standalone stories, but they're then for the first time, they really are a continuation of what went on before. Um, and I think it's been a bit of patchy up and down. I, I thought, and I still watch it regularly because it's so great, is Casino Royale is stunning. Absolutely loved every moment of it. It's the action's fantastic, the delivery of a new Bond. Uh, we knew we were in for a grittier, um, messier kind of, uh, it was far more brutal. I loved everything about it. Um, Quantum of Solace, massive dive in quality. It was the middle of the writer's strike. They went and started filming before they even had a script and kind of was writing it as they went on, but couldn't really do much. I think poor Mark Forster was such a hospital pass for that director. And I thought there were some great parts of it, but coherent wasn't great and then you get Skyfall and what a stunning film I I uh, that and Casino Royale are the, the best of the Daniel Craig so emotional uh, and also after being the longest serving cast member um, as the first female M uh, it's not a spoiler because if you haven't seen Skyfall yet where have you been yeah. um, watching uh, that relationship first, in a way, really come into its own between Bond and M and then have her die. My gosh, I mean, real tears in a Bond film. I suppose it's too late to make a run for it. So we have to look at the, the quality of the, the directors when you've got someone like Sam Mendes sitting in the director's chair for something like that. Each film is, has felt different, although still embodying all of those really basic, really important parts of the Bond DNA, because we don't want to feel like each movie we've got a different Bond. And we also don't want to feel like we're trying to reinvent the wheel as well. So similarly to watching Star Wars films and almost the Marvel films, it's very hard to close your blinkers off to the films beforehand and, and not say, because the first thing someone will ask, oh, you know, is, this, is it as good as Skyfall? Or, oh, is it as good as blah de blah uh, It's human nature. Uh, and also, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think it keeps, you take the Mission Impossible franchise and the whole way that Tom cruise and <laughs> um and chris mcquarrie really now it's like 
each time they ramp it up and ramp it up and ramp it up. I don't think Bond takes that same challenge in the sense that we're going to do something ridiculous this time. I think they managed to, to, to deliver each of the films in keeping with what I, I believe what a Bond film really is. And I think they keep that real level of class. I don't think there's any kind of cheap shots or uh, especially in these last Daniel Craig ones, they've this, they've the quality of the cinematography of the filmmaking of the storytelling. Uh, I just think that has just been first class. James Bond, Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, these are four remarkable popular cultural connotations and configurations. And what makes them so extraordinary, I would argue, is their longevity. That's what renders it rare. What is it about this character that has allowed it to endure for such a long time, do you think? Well, I am not even remotely familiar with the Fleming novels. I don't think I've read a page. I think, like so many people around the world, that we're in love with the cinematic version of Bond and what he's become. And if you look at Albert Broccoli and then when he handed it over uh, to his daughter, Barbara, which happened at the same time. So GoldenEye was the first film uh, where she took the reins over. At that point, I think they stepped back and realised that the kind of cheesiness of Bond and Piers Brosnan made a couple of pretty (laughs) cheesy Bonds uh, and also the kind of Timothy Dalton kind of era, uh, they really wanted to modernise him and make him less perhaps of a, a caricature, which, you know, fitted the time and bring him kicking and screaming a little bit more, uh, making him, he was always sophisticated, but uh, I don't know, just give him some edge. And you really saw that in GoldenEye. I mean, I know there was still a lot of throwaway one-liners and you have to look back through the history of Bond and the questionable... <laughs> so much misogyny but let's be fair um the bond girls had a very specific role um so and they were of a time and i think that she kind of took control of that and they you know as far as producers go they they rule the roost man they choose their directors and they're very very involved in the casting process and every single detail they're on set every single day um her and michael wilson as well so they're just a they're really a really big part of it so i suspect uh that the there's, a, there's an element of these films wanting to be iconic and keeping them within canon, if that kind of makes sense. Totally, yeah. And I, I think that you raise a really interesting point there too, which is the idea that, like, you know, you adapt or die in this world of entertainment. This Correct. world of entertainment. And while, you know, some elements of James Bond have remained constants throughout history, some other elements of the films have changed over the years. It has it has almost followed society in a way, kind of kind of like what Star Wars is doing, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean. And specifically, if you look at the the place of gender within cinema and on the big screen, you you saw that when they cast a female M in the very first instance with um, uh, with Dame Judy, uh, the Miss Moneypenny role under Daniel Craig's rule obviously changed completely, uh, which it also had to do. And the Bond women, so to speak, have all come in in a variety of ways, far more empowered. Um, they're still wearing couture and orange bikinis. But even from that, the, the shot that changed everything and suddenly the British public were in love with the buff bond when Daniel Craig emerged out of the ocean in the Bahamas wearing uh, those fabulous blue continental togs, which sold out with, within two days. 
And it was a 100% riff on the Ursula Andress coming out of the water with Sean Connery hiding in the bushes like a creep. Uh, and that's when I thought, okay, no, this... This is this this feels different already. Uh, we're still he's still you know in that film beds women left right and centre. Uh, and I as we watch through the last couple, especially when you look at Vesper and we know that he was capable of true love. Uh, and then in the last two films with Madeline, you know that he's more open and vulnerable, and he's he's forming relationships with women as opposed to just um, you know tap and go, so to speak. So, uh, you know, that's 100% reflecting it, but not in a really spinning it on its head way. I think you're right. We've seen it as a far more natural progression. Uh, I just think in the last two years in this Me Too environment that in a lot of ways uh, it was already kind of getting there, do you know what I mean, uh, and, and in a much more natural way. Who's your favourite Bond? Oh, knew you were going to ask me that. I was outraged when you were criticising Pierce Brosnan before because he's my favourite. Uh, I don't mean to criticise him. Please don't take it too personally. He is he is marvellous. He had his eyebrow ra- You know, I know Sean Connery's got the best eyebrow raise in the business, but Piers can deliver those kinds of lines with a with a suaveness, which um, I a lot. I'm not going to knock you for the Piers situ. Uh, the problem is, is uh, the Daniel Craig legacy of films for me as a film critic have just been outstanding pieces of (laughs) filmmaking Uh, and I love there's that ridiculous scene with Mads Mikkelsen uh, who's torturing him and Bond is sitting stark bollock naked uh, with a chair without a bottom while he gets beaten with a huge piece of rope in his testicular region. I've got a little itch Would you mind? Uh, And which is a kind of, if you explain that, which I just did, it's kind of gross. And yet everything about it was, you know, that whole sense of what he was prepared to go through uh, for Her Majesty's service. Uh, I I just, the fighting. And again, that opening black and white start to Casino Royale where he's basically waiting to shoot a guy and confessing to his first kill. And the way that he killed that guy in the bathroom is just ugly and messy uh, and incredibly brutal. And you just knew that he was he was a bit different. Um, you wouldn't have seen Pierce do that, but I'm sensing from you that you would never ask Pierce to do that. You liked him just the way he was. I liked him nice and clean. And <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned that there has uh, been a New Zealand connection with many James Bonds previously, because Lee Zamahori also directed uh, one of the James Bonds, starring my fave Pierce. It wasn't a particularly good mm-hmm. film, but, uh, you know, whatever. Oh, he made a lot of money, though. For ages, it was the biggest grossing Bond. I'm curious to ask you about... Actors who you think could have or, or perhaps should have played Bond in the past but never did because there's a New Zealand connection there too, right? Like um, Sam yeah. Neill. Sam Neill. Yeah. Actually got screen test of James Bond. So you're Tatiana Romanova. My friends call me Tanya. My friends call me Bond. James Bond. Which would have been so cool. Oh, oh my gosh. Can you imagine? He would have been great. Sam would have been... He seems such a gentle soul to play a role that would have had to be pretty ruthless. It would have been awesome. I'd have been very here for it. How do you feel? Would you have watched Sam Neill as Bond? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a screen test is awesome as well. I can't see how they turned it down from it. Outrageous. Um, Mel Gibson apparently was in the mix as well. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Rumour has it, back in the day when they were, uh, was, I think it was when Pierce was doing his. How many did he do? He must have done at least five, did he? He did did a he? few, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, um, he did the one with Denise Richards, where Denise Richards, 23-year-old Denise Richards, plays a nuclear physics doctor. That's right! <laughs> that was Christmas. Wasn't she called Christmas, Christmas Jones. or your Christmas? Yeah, Christmas Jones. I thought Christmas only comes once a year. <laughs> oh, just a double entendres. Honestly, I'd completely forgotten about her here. Oh, That's dear. classic. Yeah, yeah. This is Daya, Daniel Craig's last Bond. Who would you like to see as the next Bond? Do you reckon Idris Elba would be a good Bond? He is my number one pick. Yeah. I would absolutely love to I think he's got everything that we need as a Bond I can't think of anyone else I would want in that role right now he's just the the one person I know he's been in uh, this conversation for a couple of years now because of course there was a lot of conversation around whether the in fact I was looking back at my interview for Spectre uh, which I did with Bond uh, with Daniel Craig in London and I said how many times today have you been asked whether this is your last Bond and he hadn't made his mind up then and that was Spectre so we didn't even know if he was coming back for this this final film but again and I don't mean to hark on and if you jump on YouTube you can uh, watch him on the set of this last film, No Time to Die, when they rap and it's a cold, windy night. And he ends up making an impromptu speech to the to the crew and the cast who were on set and, and he, start, he cry, starts crying. A lot of people here worked on five pictures with me and I know there's a lot of things said about what I think about these films and all of those, whatever, but I've loved every single second of these movies and especially this one because I've got up every morning and I've had the chance to work um, with you guys and that has been one of the greatest honours of my life. So. <laughs> Uh, and it's quite shocking to see he was very overwhelmed and uh, acknowledging what a journey it has been. So I quite like it when a, an actor publicly evolves when it comes to being in love with but also not wanting to be identified as a single character, which creatively must, must feel quite stifling. So um, I found that really interesting. So I think he was ready and he is ready. Um, so to cycle back to your original uh, question, I, I think... First of all, it's not even a diversity issue. I just think Idris is perfect for it. Um, but I also think we're ready for a black bond. I just genuinely think we are. It's reflective of the population of Britain. It's reflective of the world we live in. And it, it's faintly ridiculous. Uh, if they didn't make this step, uh, I think it would be a real problem. Uh which brings us to the next conversation piece, you know, I'm going to say, because lots of people are talking about whether it needs to be a female bond. And my answer to that is no. Because he's James Bond. Um, and, you know, I will sit here quite happily as a woman and say there are a million ways we can do it. Um, we've got um, Lashana's character uh, as a double O in this latest film, as I said. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know her trajectory. Uh, I'm, I don't know how bond, the Bond world feels about spin-offs, but I'm sorry, it just doesn't, it's not, I just don't think James Bond is a female character. Uh, and I'm happy for all the women listening to send me hate tweets about it, but it's, it's just the way I feel. That there is plenty of opportunity for other characters to, to come about. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Kate Roger from TV3. 
Matewa.